So telehealth just became the number one priority for every GP clinic in the country due to the COVID-19 crisis. But for a lot of GPs, telehealth has been put into the it's just too hard basket until now, mostly because there hasn't been any Medicare funding for it. And it can seem like a really daunting IT challenge to get telehealth up and running in just a few days when you may not have heard of a VPN before and maybe you don't even own a headset and you've lost your Skype login details. But don't stress, you're not alone. A lot of GPs are in exactly the same position. So to try and help, I've gone out and asked a few experts on telehealth to give us a quick and dirty guide to how to get it started really quickly. Welcome to the Medical Republic, I'm Felicity Nelson. This podcast was recorded on the week of Monday 16th of March. Sorry I couldn't get it out sooner, I've been self-isolating with a cold. First up, I've invited Dr Charlotte Hespie back on the show. She's the chair of the RACGP for New South Wales and ACT. So it seems like GPs are going to be ramping up their telehealth offerings in the next few days or weeks. What is the RACGP recommending that GP practices do? Look, the RACGP is recommending that everybody be very mindful in the first place about using the right platform and thinking about the whole sort of confidentiality and uh, issues around who's present, how it's recorded, etc. Because I think there's sort of been a, it's, it'd be very easy to just sort of jump into using platforms such as Skype uh, or WhatsApp, etc., or FaceTime, which actually are, don't have privacy um, around them in the same way that some of the sort of other platforms might do. So my first sort of warning is, is before you use a platform, think about is this the right sort of platform for doing it? And also be thinking about what it is that you're doing on it, how you're recording it and the process. You know, at the end of the day, it's exactly the same as the things that we need to ensure are in place when we see a patient face-to-face, except that we have the sort of barriers of it not being face-to-face, and so you just need to make sure that you've still got the right patient. Um, how do you do that if you're not, if it's on the telephone uh, and you don't know them? How do you actually ensure that you are talking to the right person, and how do you make sure that you know, there's no one else in the room or space that shouldn't be there. And how do you record it? How do you bill it? How do you make sure that you've done and asked all the right things? Because you don't have that. Well, especially if it's a telephone, you don't have the body language to help you. Um, if it's using the video conferencing platforms, then again, you're still limited in what you've got. So it's about being able to understand that the limitations of the platform that we're using to conduct those um, interviews and consultations. And so I saw somewhere that uh, the RACGP was talking about maybe just starting with telephones rather than trying to jump into something that's a little bit more fancy like Skype or Zoom. Um, is that something that you think is important, maybe starting off with a, a simpler technology that um, you know everyone really has access to? Absolutely. So if you haven't ever done anything like this, I would definitely recommend that you start just with telephone. 
for that you know there are people who have used other platforms and are quite comfortable with that that's not a problem but for a lot of the city-based GPS we haven't ever had any need or certainly under Medicare we've not been able to bill for using any of these other platforms so we're used to using telephone most of us would have a policy and procedure written for our practice especially if you're accredited about how you use telephone and you know everybody has a telephone in our society aren't we lucky that we can by and large access anybody uh, on a phone I mean even those without a home generally have a mobile so that's you know you, you know you've got a platform that you can actually access for everybody so you're not limiting um, what you can do in terms of what you're endeavouring to do in the first place. Um, and it seems like uh, when I've been speaking with GPs, one of the things that they are talking through in their practice meetings is, um, you know, how do we organise this? Um, so a patient calls in, they want to speak to a GP by telephone, you know, who sets up that appointment? How does it get set up? How does it get streamlined into the normal GP workflow. Um, have you got any tips or advice about how GPs might be able to do that really quickly um, rather than, you know, something that they work out on for a couple of months? Uh, look, great question. And I think there's a lot of body of work going into developing some flow charts to assist practices in that. Can I say the RSCGP is actively putting out some podcasts of our own, one that's actually specifically targeted for practice managers and it's called Practice That. So if GPs listening to this, they could direct their practice managers toward that as a resource where we're sort of looking at, you know, what are the resources that you need? How do you make sure that your policies and procedures covered it and how do you do it? And this in the same ilk, um, Just a GP and the Good GP podcast are joining uh, together to try and put out a series of very short sort of useful um podcasts around this same area as well all around that sort of policy level and just sort of general advice so that will hopefully um, assist so I'm certainly looking and talking to a number of GPs at the moment look from my perspective one of the biggest things is setting up a protocol so you know who is appropriate for telehealth and who's going to qualify the good news as of today courtesy of I think some fantastic work from Harry Nispel and our president. We now have access for all GPs in a practice for a patient. So if a patient rings in, instead of the telehealth only being able to be done by the GP that they've seen in the last 12 months, it's anybody in the practice that that GP was in or is in. So there, which actually opens up the accessibility of the telehealth and the telephone consult. So that's step number one. Then the, the next one, as you say, is how do you do the appointment system? My recommendation is that you actually make sure that you have it done in exactly the same way as you are booking in patients for general appointments so that the triaging at the front desk gets done um, to figure out whether it's a, a telephone slash telehealth is more appropriate or whether they need to come in and if they're not sure then they can refer it to either the practice nurse or the GP to just to quickly clarify. Then book them in in the same running sheet as you might otherwise do and when it comes to that patient's consultation the doctor just rings them instead of calls them in from the waiting room and you can I mean certainly on our software you just notate it as being a telehealth consultation so the doctor knows that it's going to be done in that way. 
And the same way you can use your platform that you opt for, as in that isn't telephone. So in my practice, we've already moved straight into a, a, a secure um, consultation video conferencing um, platform that the doctor actually sends a message from their computer to the patient's phone number and so it needs to be a mobile phone so on their mobile phone they then get a link they then click on that link which then gives puts through their phone accesses their camera and their video conferenced into the doctor on their computer in their room and that then is done in the same sort of running sheet time as if they were being called in from the waiting room that seems to work quite easily and then the, it's recorded exactly the same way as it would normally be on the computer and and then it's billed as a telehealth um, slash telephone consultation. If it's being done remotely then there's obviously certain more things that you need to do. So for instance if you're on your 14 days quarantine but therefore you've been given all of the telehealth consultations, um, hopefully you'll be able to remote your computer at home into your practice computer so you've got access to all the files. You are then able to just do those same consultations from your um, home, but actually doing it in the comfort of your setup at home. Sure, that's, um, that sounds great if, if that's possible. Is that something that um, GP practices can actually do where they can talk to private computers in people's homes, um, the private computer of the GP so that they can access the records? Yeah, so there's a system called VPN where you are able to remote access your computer. So, for instance, I have a laptop computer which I have a very secure access code that then securely links me into my practice's computer and then I'm able to use that computer um, in a remote setting but accessed into the database at the practice itself. We've used this for a long time for our home visits and for uh, you know nursing home access anyway and also for allowing doctors to do their paperwork at home rather than having to be in at the practice. So a lot of practices will already have that set up if they don't, certainly from, from a college perspective, we're very happy to assist in what needs to be done and, and guide them around the standards to make sure that all of the security around how you do it, who is it enabled to access it, etc., is signed off from a certification um, and privacy point of view. Mm. So it sounds to me like uh, it's technologically quite easy to do, but in terms of ensuring a certain quality standard, ensuring um, that it's done really appropriately, that's going to take a little bit more thinking and um, management. Yes, I think that it's fair to say that you, you, you shouldn't just launch into it without thinking about what it is that you, what's your structure and um, guidelines for doing it. Most practices, I would think, can easily adapt what they're doing on other things to be able to put it into place. But I think it's always good it's like anything, sit down and think through the consequences. I'm a, a strong believer in what I call uh, a PDSA, a Plan, Do, Study, Act. So actually do a, a small trial of what you think you want to launch. So if you think, you know, like for instance, this is how it'll work for the front desk and this is how they'll do it and this is how the doctor remotes in and these are the instructions I need to give the patient. You just do it on a, do it for one doctor 
for half a day, check that it works, figure out all the snags, and then roll it out um, more widely with the with it having been improved as you you go along. So rather than do the whole big thing in one go and then have issues all around the, the, the place with everybody being affected. And it seems like one of the most important things is to triage properly. So have the reception staff or the nurse or the GP um, have an initial conversation with the patient or um, have the patient fill out a form so that they know whether or not it's appropriate for telehealth. Is that quite important? Absolutely. And can I say again, that's what I'm currently right in the midst of developing triage flow charts. Um, And so the resources that will hopefully be available to everybody is that we, um, we're going to roll out these sort of generic pathways of safe triaging. You know, what do you do? Who's the patients who really we should be encouraging to do telehealth consultations to regardless? Who are the patients who actually qualify um, under the infection type um, process? And then sort of it, that'll leave a fairly small pool of patients who regardless need to come in. So it's giving us a process of being able to easily identify those patients and then offering what's what's on offer and deciding what's the most appropriate care for that patient. Then down the track, we've got also, we're developing a, a, um, a flow chart to be able to assist in, well, I've got these patients now with COVID-19 at home how do I manage them? How do I know whether they're, you know, mild risk, moderate risk or severe? And when do I need to make sure they get reviewed by doctors in hospital? So we're doing that in partnership with New South Wales Health and with Health Pathways who have already done an amazing job. Can I say, if you haven't looked at the Health Pathways for this yet, you should. Um, Job at being able to step by step go through what needs to happen for safe care and the patient journey through the process of both um, that triaging, diagnosis and then safe management out the other end for COVID-19. Yeah, and it, it seems to me like because it's become a very urgent situation, it's no longer just a suggestion of maybe try some telehealth. It's it's much more you need to be doing telehealth to protect your patients. Um, so, yeah, the timeline's sped up a bit. Yeah, and, you know, and it's not – it's not that hard to go from the telephone to the next one, but it is absolutely, if you haven't thought about it, don't just go launching into it. Do that whole thinking and planning. And as I said, we're certainly going to be putting out some really good resources about assisting how to do it in a safe standards, quality and care type framework for everybody. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. That was really helpful. Thanks, Bliss. So next up, I've got Professor John Hall. He's the president of the Rural Doctors Association of Australia. Dr. Hall, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Felicity. Oh, thanks for making time. I know you're so, super busy. It's a bit crazy um, at the moment, yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of GPs around the country are gearing up to roll out telehealth this week. Um, so for some GPs, it's going to be the very first time they try this. Um, do you think rural doctors are going to have an easier time with the transition because they've already been using telehealth? Absolutely. Um, we've had telehealth item numbers, particularly for mental health and 
and for other remote areas now for some time. Uh, many rural patients are used to using telehealth when connecting with their specialists in the city, and a lot of rural hospitals have been um, utilising telehealth for hospital-based um, care as well. So, yeah, look, I think um, rural doctors and patients uh, are certainly going to be a bit ahead of the game when it comes to um, implementing telehealth for COVID-19. Mm, I remember I was calling a rural doctor for um, a, for a bushfire-related story, and I was super impressed they were able to set up this amazing Skype system with two sets of headphones, and I, I've never seen any GPs that prepared for a, a sort of, you know, an interview. Um, so I, I get the sense that rural doctors kind of know their way around the systems. Absolutely. And you'll find often they're a lot more tech savvy. Um, they've had to rely on the internet and and video teleconferencing for communication amongst ourselves, you know, within our organisations like the Rural Doctors Association and the AMA. Most of our meetings are, are online these days and we do a lot of our education. So teaching our junior doctors and medical students over um, platforms, you know, like Zoom and Skype and and the like. So uh, a lot of us are, uh, this is bread and butter for us. It's um, part of how we communicate in the bush. Mm. Well, that's good. And have you heard any stories from your members about how they're going using telehealth uh, to, you know, try and triage COVID-19 patients or, or patients who think that they've got symptoms? Yeah, absolutely. So people have... Um, uh, gotten on board with this already. I know a number of my colleagues that have um, started to use the new telehealth item numbers and, um, and they've set up remote access. So most of us run off um, terminal servers these days or cloud-based solutions for our clinical software. Um, we can get remote access into those from pretty much anywhere. So you can still have the patient file and all the details and the booking information you know, on your laptop or your desktop at home. Um, and um, for the most part, we can get patients linked in either over a voice-only connection or a video link quite easily, and it seems to be working well for the doctors that are using it at the moment. Um, and have you heard some specific stories about COVID-19 and, and how that's working from your members? Look, we know that this is being utilised for COVID-19 triage, so there's certainly stories whereby people who are concerned that they might be a suspect case um, are asking about testing or whether or not they need testing uh, are being managed this way. And it's a really useful way of keeping um, potential COVID-19 patients out of waiting rooms, out of emergency departments, um, and directing them towards testing if that's required. So absolutely, um, it's, uh, it's going to be very useful for minimising the contact and minimising the spread of COVID-19. It's essentially a form of um, social distancing, which is the key policy platform that we're all driving now to minimise the um, the spread of COVID to um, ensure that uh, we don't have a massive peak in demand like they've seen in many other countries. Mm. Um, and what are some of your tips that you would give GPs who are just starting to think about getting telehealth off the ground really quickly this week? Look, it's really important that you've got a base um, internet connection that's functional and working. Um, it's important that you've got, you know, modern up-to-date computers and equipment. Um, and also you need to make sure that you've got the remote access side of things worked out for your clinical software. I think that's probably the biggest challenge for many of our doctors, that if um, it's really getting the, uh, the remote access into their clinical software working, it's probably the most challenging part of it. Most of our guys are used to using uh, video teleconference um, platforms, so that's not the challenge. Um, so I certainly would um, 
recommend that they talk to their IT provider at their local surgery, get the practice manager involved and get themselves set up for remote access. Now, even if they're not planning on using it from home straight away, there's every chance that many of us will end up in home, home isolation. We know this virus is spreading rapidly through the community um, and it's only a matter of time that, you know, there'll be multiple healthcare workers that become infected that will need to, to self-isolate um, going forward. So getting ahead of the game, getting all your systems and your hardware set up uh, before you need it, um, I think that's that's a really good idea so that you know that it's working and you can test it before you need to go live. Mm, absolutely. Um, and are there any issues around... Um, you know, quality assurance in patient care. So when you don't have the patient right in front of you, um, I can imagine there are some some limitations to what you can achieve in the consultation and there are some pieces of information that maybe can't be shared. How, how do you, as a GP, jump into telehealth having no experience of it um, and make sure that you're aware of those limitations and um, using telehealth appropriately? Let's be clear. Telehealth is not a universal solution for general practice by any stretch, um, most general practice encounters do require face-to-face -face, um, doctors to engage with their patients, to look at the nonverbal cues, to be able to examine, um, take clinical measurements like temperatures and blood pressure, and and examine our patients. So often that involves, um, you know, putting our hands on people, feeling um, certain parts of the body like joints and other things, listening to people's chests. So. For the most part, um, a thorough GP assessment in, needs to be face-to-face. -face. But in this context where we're trying to limit the spread of a highly infectious and dangerous virus, um, this is a, a really good adjunct. And most doctors are aware of the limitations of telehealth. Video is better than phone. We can see people. We can get some information from that. But at the end of the day, there will be patients where doctors will triage. So that means they will work out how sick they are, what further testing they might require. And there will be people where doctors will deem, look, you actually need to be seen by someone in person. One of, there's two main roles for telehealth in the COVID-19 uh, assessment and treatment. One is working out whether someone requires a test. So talking to them, talking through their history and their, their likely exposure and their travel history. Um, so that's working out whether someone requires a test, but then also looking at how unwell they are, going through their symptoms, um, trying to ascertain how seriously unwell someone is. One of the key factors in COVID-19 is difficulty breathing. It's the impact on the lungs that is making people most seriously unwell. So a doctor would be able to assess over a tele or video conference someone's uh, breathing situation and determine whether or not they need to go to hospital. So that's going to be a key part of telehealth management. There'll be a number of people that home isolate and there will be points in time where they're reaching out to a doctor to find out when they should indeed go and see someone face-to-face. -face. But uh, at the end of the day, any patient that is developing um, breathing difficulty needs to be going to hospital to be assessed formally because they might be one of the one of the groups of COVID-19 patients that will require hospitalisation and intensive care. One of the things that's been really holding GPs back uh, from starting off some telehealth consultations is the situation with billing. 
Um, and I understand that a lot of GPs are still really confused about what they can bill, how it works. Um, and um, have you got any suggestions on that side of things, particularly if GPs need to be privately billing, how yeah, they look, go about doing um, that? At the end of the day, the government has um, rightly uh, developed item numbers for COVID-19 telehealth, so tele telephone and video conferencing. Um, they, um, they've got limitations around how they can be applied. They need to be bulk billed. Um, patients need to meet certain criteria. So essentially they need to be a suspect case or fall into a category of at-risk people for them to be billed through um, the COVID-19 items. Um, so they can't be privately billed if they're wanting to utilise the Medicare rebate for COVID-19 specifically. There's nothing stopping a GP billing a, um, billing a telehealth occasion of service completely privately. So if they were not wanting to utilise the COVID items, they could charge a, a private fee and not bill Medicare. So there's many doctors that um, have done that and do that currently where they provide a telehealth service and they charge the patient the full amount. So that's actually doable and there's a number of... Um, commercially available platforms that have a paywall that allow doctors to do that as well. It's not very popular um, because patients don't really have an appetite to pay the full amount, but it's certainly an evolving area. And um, But at this stage, most people that are doing telehealth under the COVID-19 items will be bulk billing. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me and all the best. And finally, I'm speaking with Ben Hurst. He's the CEO of HotDoc. They've been updating their software so that patients can book telehealth appointments. Mr. Hurst, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. So can you tell us what are some of the new telehealth features on HotDoc? Uh, the first thing we did, and we updated this about a week ago, was to, um, was to initiate COVID screening mode, which basically means that practices that use our service can flick a button and all the patients that then book through HotDoc will go through a questionnaire um, to see whether or not they are um, at-risk patients for coronavirus. Um, and if they are, then they will be um, funneled into making a, a telephone uh, inquiry with their clinic. Um, the main purpose of this is just to protect the frontline staff um, at the medical centres that use us. Um, and more recently, we've just um, developed a teleconsult feature, which is obviously timed to the um, to the rebate items that have just been introduced. Excellent. That's really interesting. Um, and have doctors and GP practices been using those two features? We, yeah, incredibly, over three quarters of all our clinic customers have activated um, COVID screening mode and having... Um, Having started our teleconsult service on Friday, we already have over 150 clinics that have set it up, and I think we've done something like 250 appointments um, already through the platform. And when um, those telehealth consultations are being requested by patients, are they being done in the form of a phone uh, consultation, or is it a Skype consultation, or some other form of video conferencing? Yeah, good question. So we've started off 
just with telephone-based um, bookings. Um, what we do is at the time the patient makes a booking, we ask what their preferred phone number is, uh, and then we write that back into the practice management system so the doctor can very quickly find it and call the patient. Um, we are planning to add video-based consults um, in the next couple of weeks, um, and we're still sort of working out which platform makes sense for that. Um, so that's something that we'll uh, hopefully announce pretty soon. Sure, that's great. So do you want to talk me through how that works from a GP's perspective? Um, there are two main possibilities for us. We're either going to make make it possible for the medical centre to nominate their preferred video-based um, conferencing platform um, and then if a patient makes a booking uh, and they're already a user, fantastic, they can just log in um, with that username. Uh, if they're not, they'll have to make an account, um, whether it be with Zoom, Skype, Hangouts, etc. Um, the other solution that we're looking into is a way where we can actually, um, I guess, enable that platform ourselves and provide a link to the doctor and the patient at the t at the time of the patient's booking, um, and so that you know they just both click on that link and they go straight into um, video conferencing mode. Mm, so you could do that through something like Zoom, I imagine. Yeah, that's one of the platforms that we're looking at. Mm, interesting. Um, and so the benefits of the um, changes that you've just rolled out, um, why is that beneficial for a general practice? Um, first thing is to protect um, the staff from unnecessary exposure to patients who are high risk um, for the coronavirus. Um, secondly, um, there are some patients, um, especially if they do meet the um, bulk billing criteria, um, who um, whose, needs, whose needs can be met via a teleconferencing solution. Um, so we're, we're facilitating medical centres being able to um, to to make those um, to make those teleconferencing um, appointments. Um, we're also in the process of working through some sort of payments solution which means that not only patients who meet the criteria for bulk billing um, teleconferencing rebates, but also um, patients who, um, you know, who, who either want to be privately seen um, or if, you know, potentially that, um, oh, yeah, sorry, who, who are privately seen but don't meet the criteria, they can also make a booking as well. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I've spoken to a few GPs who have not yet done telehealth and are just starting to think about it you know, this week, um, for whatever reason, they haven't done it in the past. Um, do you have any tips or advice for GPs who are just jumping in right now? Um, I think my tip or advice would be, it's not very difficult. Um, it's sort of like, uh, you know, you, whether it's hot doc or another service, um, it's quite easy for a patient to, um, you know, to be screened adequately, either by reception staff or through an online booking solution and then provide the, the details straight to the GP. Um, so my first thing would be, you know, don't be fearful about this new technology. This isn't some crazy paradigm shift. Um, my second tip would be to try and, um, I guess, understand the, you know, the kind of the, the value of this solution. Um, there are a lot of patients who are extremely anxious about the COVID situation. And you know this does provide a way where those patients can get access to the healthcare they need. Um, 
and um, and that's you know that's that's good for everyone. Um, there are high risk patients, whether they be elderly or have you know significant chronic diseases, um, who you know who are probably best to to not uh, to avoid public exposure where possible. Um, so I think I think this is I think it's been an excellent initiative by by the federal government, and I think technology players such as HotDoc and, and and others as well have have done. You know pretty well to respond quickly to the um to the growing needs. Mm. And does it cost the GPs who are already using HotDoc any extra to use the telehealth function? No, we're we're just no. doing it as part of the service. So all our existing customers are just getting it um as an add-on. Um and um and yeah for, for any new customer um they can just get get the get access to the solution um for um, for the for the normal cost of the service, um, the only caveat to that is when we do introduce um, video based consults, it's possible that we, um, if we host that, will incur a fee with that with that provider. So so there may be a small increase in fee, but but you know we're we're certainly not looking to to profit out of out of this situation in any way. Yeah, that's um that's great. And um, how many GP clinics uh use hot dog? Uh, I should know this exactly. Um, so it's about two thousand three hundred. Um, we have sixteen over sixteen thousand um, doctors or GPs on the platform, um, which I think represents something like forty percent of the of the GP market. Wow, that's a lot. Um, and is it possible for a GP clinic to sign up for HotDoc and just use the telehealth function? It's probably difficult um, because I think at a minimum you'd need to be on. Um, our online bookings solution um, so that we can then um, appropriately screen patients and then um, and then provide their phone number um, back into the um, back into the doctor's schedule um, so we could potentially just provide it with with, with bookings um, we sort of recommend using other solutions because um, when patients are being reminded and when they're checking in on HotDoc, um, we also add initial uh, additional e- education around around COVID screening. Um, so it's, it gives you like extra touch points to to, to appropriately inform patients of um, of any update. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and are your competitors doing the same thing? So like Health Engine, I think um, I think everyone is doing something around COVID. Um, I think that perhaps we were the earliest to market with. The COVID screening module, but I know that other competitors are starting to release um, teleconsult solutions. Um, mm. Some are video based, some might not be. Um, I think I think everyone's. You know, it's it, this has happened pretty recently, so everyone's um, scrambling a little bit um, to mm. get technology up to up to speed. But I think I mean I think industry wide that the response has been really positive. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And it's interesting that it's all happening in the, you know, the last few days or weeks. So when did you roll out your um, telehealth feature? Um, so telehealth or the teleconsults um, was on Friday. Yeah. Um, and when did you start working on it? Uh, probably four days before then. Whoa, um, that's so quick. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we have a pretty amazing product team um, and they have been close to pulling all-nighters recently, um, which has been pretty awesome. Like the team has really responded to this crisis. Um, mm. Yeah, and the, and the COVID screening module, um, you know, that was something that, that took us probably a week to, to knock off, but it's, it's, you know, it's been really well received. 
Yeah, that's excellent. Well, it's it's good that you guys are working on it. Because um, if you say you've got forty percent of the GP's workforce with you guys, um, yeah, if they can use your service to streamline telehealth, that's gonna yeah stop a lot of transmission of disease. <laughs> that's great. Definitely, definitely the yeah. yeah, we're definitely trying. Yeah. So that's it from us. You've been listening to the Medical Republic podcast. My name's Felicity Nelson. If you would like to share any tips and advice on telehealth, please get in touch. My email is felicity at medicalrepublic.com.au. You may have noticed we've also got a live blog running on COVID-19. Please send all of your tips and advice to bianca at biancanograde.com.au. She's trying to bring GPs all the latest resources and information that we can find. Thanks very much for your help.